Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode here on the 5571 Podcast. My name is Danny, and I'm your host today as we discuss a bunch of Disneyland news, as well as other theme parks news, and go over our Main Street topic today where we discuss what we know about Mickey's Toontown, and also discuss a little bit about the upcoming sort of announced Avatar experience coming to Disneyland, as shared by Bob Iger during the earnings call. Um, But let's go ahead and dive right in with the 5571 News. Starting off over at Disneyland, Disneyland officials have announced that the grand reopening of Mickey's Toontown has been delayed by about two and a half weeks and will now open on Sunday, March 19th. Disney provided a quote as to the reason for the delay, stating, Due to heavy winter storms that impacted our construction momentum, we are adjusting the reopening date of Mickey's Toontown to March 19th. We can't wait for our guests to visit and experience the reimagined land. Of course, as we know, guests can already experience part of Mickey's Toontown as the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway attraction opened to the public to kick off the Disney 100 celebration at Disneyland on January 27th. The original grand reopening date of Mickey's Toontown was going to be March 8th, but it's now been pushed back, like we mentioned, to Sunday, March 19th. Very weird for Disney to have an opening day, I feel, on Sunday. I haven't seen that in a little bit. And if you did or didn't know, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And of course, the quarterback himself, Patrick Mahomes, announced that he would be heading to Disneyland at the conclusion of the game. Mahomes will take part in a high-energy cavalcade through Disneyland Park on Monday, if you're listening to this podcast when it released, February 13th at 1.30 p.m. And it's going to be starting at Fantasyland by It's a Small World heading down Main Street. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty recaps of that, not only on the news, but on YouTube. So check it out if you aren't there in person to see it. Refurbishment continues on the reimagining of the Jazz Kitchen restaurant in downtown Disney, including the closure of the popular Jazz Kitchen Express, where they serve those famous beignets to long lines of customers almost every single day. However, beignet fans can now rejoice as this past weekend, the Jazz Kitchen Express reopened a temporary stand location at the front of the restaurant, once again selling the famous beignets and assorted beverages, at least for the time being, while they continue to renovate its normal location behind the wall. No word yet on the official end date for all of the construction on this restaurant to conclude for the Jazz Kitchen and the Jazz Kitchen Express, but we'll keep following the construction as it progresses to let you know when that will be. Headed over now to Knott's Berry Farm for some news over there. Knott's Berry Farm is going to be celebrating its 50th year for Knott's Scary Farm this year during the Halloween season, and they've also quietly adjusted the dates of the event. Shout out to Peter from Ordinary Adventures as he gave me this tip about the change that I didn't even know. Originally, the event was supposed to kick off as originally announced on September 14th, but will now start on September 21st. Knott's Berry Farm has not publicly addressed the reason for the change and has just quietly updated their website. So we'll update you with some more information if they provide a reason for the change. Someone did mention that the end of the summer season was just before, um, but the adjustment was only one week. So just seven days from when it was originally supposed to be. Maybe they wanted some space between when Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights debuts versus when Not Scary Farm starts. Maybe there's some other dates we don't know about, kind of what Disneyland's doing. 
They might talk to each other as far as kind of where their dates are or share some insider information. So maybe they adjusted accordingly that way. I know Knott's really wants this Scary Farm event to be very successful for them. Like I mentioned, as it is them celebrating their 50th year for this event. So it's going to be a big deal and supposedly a very, very big event, the biggest one they've done um, with a big budget. So I'm looking forward to seeing Knott's Scary Farm this year. Also, no word yet on a Knott's Scary Farm pass They haven't sold one yet, and there's no word if we're going to be getting one. And finally, over at Universal Studios Hollywood, Super Nintendo World will officially open at the park on Friday, February 17th. That's this Friday. The park will host a couple media events this week leading up to the grand opening, so there'll probably be more to share and maybe even some exciting announcements from the land. But I'm going to try to be there on the opening day itself to share what that experience is like. Also, keep in mind, if you are planning on visiting after the land officially opens, Universal does sell an add-on to your daily ticket or if you have an annual pass as well for $20 or $25 depending on the day. And it does grant you access to Super Nintendo World one hour prior to park opening and gives you a one-time express use over at the World Famous Studio Tour, but it's only going to be valid that same day until 11 a.m. These early access add-ons can, will, and already have sold out for select dates, so make sure you purchase these as soon as you decide on which day you want to go because they have been selling out, and you can do that on the Universal Studios website or the app for the date of your visit. And if you want to check out Super Nintendo World, this is a great way to do it, especially if you want to get your name on that coveted list to go to the Toadstool Cafe, because it is generally been on a return time kind of status as the land's been open. So you kind of have to put your name down on a list and come back later at a different time when it's available. So those guests getting in early are probably going to get that first pick for the coveted lunchtime uh, service at the restaurant. Now for our Main Street topic this week, I wanted to discuss a few things. Uh, We were talking a little bit earlier in the podcast during the news segment about the delayed opening for Mickey's Toontown. And I kind of wanted to go into kind of what we know so far um, about what's coming to the land as Disney has shared some things but hasn't shared all the things and kind of putting together what we found out not only um, from visiting the land in person um, after they opened Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway um, but also from when we talked to Imagineers who were kind of um, scouting or, or roaming the area of the D23 Expo show floor in the Walt Disney Imagineering kind of pavilion area and giving their insight around the Mickey's Toontown model um, about different things that were to come. Now, when we did talk to Imagineers during the D23 Expo, one of the first things that I wanted to ask about the land was whether or not the land was going to include Magic Band interactivity, Magic Band Plus interactivity. As we knew um, at the time, uh, Magic Bands hadn't debuted yet at Disneyland um, at the time of the expo, but they had already been a thing at Walt Disney World, of course. Um, There was limited interactivity at Walt Disney World, and we weren't kind of sure what was to come for um, Disneyland's interactivity. And I felt like Toontown was going to be such a great place. So um, I did was able actually to talk to one of the lead Imagineers on the project um, at D23 Expo. And I did ask that question. I said, is there going to be any Magic Band Plus interactivity coming to Toontown? 
And his response was, um, the idea for the reimagining of Mickey's Toontown was actually in development long before the Imagineers themselves knew that Magic Band Plus was coming to Disneyland. Um, It sounded like, speaking with him, that the decision to bring Magic Bands to Disneyland was actually sort of probably a last minute or, you know, kind of quicker decision than maybe most had planned it to be. However, he did say um, there would be a lot of interactivity added inside Mickey's Toontown um, in places like Goofy's house and Donald's boat, things like that. Um, But they would be um, normal interactive elements for kids um, without the Magic Band Plus. However, he did want to mention that Um, After they found out that Disneyland would be getting Magic Band Plus, they were going to implement things um, in the land that would incorporate Magic Band Plus. Now, it wouldn't be maybe as much as we would expect, um, but um, there is going to be some elements to that. Now, they weren't able to share with us what that was going to look like. It could be anything from maybe some interactivity at the new fountain they're making or that new park with the the tree that seemed to be a big focus on what was coming there um, over at the Centennial Park, that tr- that kind of center-focused tree there. Um, but I did want to share that because that was kind of a cool takeaway. Um, but he also spoke to me a little bit too about the land. Now, if we think about Toontown itself, The land um, was always open till about 5 to 8 p.m. each day, depending on when Disneyland had fireworks. And if you've ever been to Disneyland in the past, uh, Mickey's Toontown would close before the fireworks would debut that evening if there was fireworks, or it would just close early generally on a day that Disneyland maybe was closing early, like at 6 or 7 p.m. on like a weekday in the off-season. And Toontown would kind of close maybe an hour or so before and then just not reopen. And and it never would reopen after the fireworks um, ever prior to Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Um, So the land itself never really truly had a nighttime lighting package, the Imagineers told us. So they were really excited because they got to essentially reimagine a lighting package for the entire land. Um, You know, the way they showcase the buildings and the different focal points throughout the land um, with light at nighttime was just not something how the original land was designed for since the land wasn't really going to be open at nighttime. So that was a big challenge for them to really create a lighting package for the land from the ground up. So he did mention that we would be seeing some really cool new things. Of course, that centerpiece fountain in the Centennial Park, um, right as you walk into Mickey's Toontown, is going to be a focal point at nighttime, really coming to life with some colorful fountains, some musical moments, lighting. Of course, the tree, the big focal tree in the Centennial Park will also be um, a focal point with um, some magical additions they mentioned, um, a la like projections, maybe some fiber optic lights, things like that. Um, really bringing some magic to that park and the fountain itself, uh, bringing the rest of Toontown at night alive. Um, We got us a glimpse up close at Toontown when we went in, of course, for the grand opening of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway on January 27th, and I've been a few times since then as well. Um, We saw some new park additions, greenery additions over by Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin um, with some curious, like, plastic boxes in the ground. (laughs) They're kind of just in the grass there and um, didn't really look like it was finished. Um, And of course, the land isn't finished. It's not open yet, uh, opening until March 19th at this point. So 
it's clear that those are definitely going to be um, lighting fixtures for um, the trees that they're around um, because those trees are, you know, are planning to grow much larger um, in the artwork. They're big focal points of that park area right now. They're kind of small, so it looks a little sparse in the area, especially since they removed that Roger Abbott fountain. Um, but those trees are really going to grow in big um, and it's going to really place make that area. I can tell you from the times I've been into Mickey's Toontown, that area, um, the kids were loving it. It's just a great place for kids to kind of run around, just be kids at Disneyland. Parents were sitting on the bench or sitting on the grass, kind of on the edges, just letting the kids all play and hang out, have fun together. Now, not sure how much of the space is going to remain that way after the land opens, um, but you can see kind of where they're designing lighting back on that lighting topic for these specific spaces, as well as, of course, the giant building that houses the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway attraction um, has a new hill landscape on it, which also has its own lighting package at nighttime. And from what I've seen so far at night, it's looked really great. Um, lots of vi vibrant, bright colors, even at night. Um, and it really does shine. So I'm excited to see kind of how that comes into play. Um, another thing that we saw in person transitioning away from kind of that nighttime aspect over to um, the food offerings in Mickey's Toontown. Now, of course, before, if you remember over at Mickey's Toontown, there was three dining windows, I guess. It was sort of like one quick service restaurant, but had three different windows technically different signs above each one as, as a different location, but it kind of operated as one. Now, the main focal one was going to be Daisy's Diner, and it served to kind of to go personal pizzas, as well as some other snacks and coffees and drinks and stuff like that. Um, the next window right next to it was Pluto's Dog House, and that had hot dogs as well as some kind of to-go sandwich options and, of course, some beverages as well. They even had, like, boxed fruit and things like that. And then the last window in that line over next to City Hall was um, Clarabelle's ice cream. Um, and there's actually some nods to that already still in the land, even after they've removed those items or those locations from the buildings themselves. Um, there's a nod to it over at the exit of the Roger Abbott's cartoon spin. They have like a ice cream delivery that's um, for Clarabelle's ice cream shop. Um, but the Clarabelle's ice cream shop, as of now, when you head into the land, when you're over there for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, it has officially completely changed. It's no longer a walk-up window anymore. It's now a facade, um, very reminiscent of the other buildings in Mickey's Toontown, with a door entrance like any of the other buildings that you might see there, um, with a color palette that is very similar to those that are keen to kind of look at it. Um, it has a, a Daisy Duck uh, palette. And of course, we know from the artwork that, and I think from some, some of the announcements that they've already shared, that the cafe, the main window, which was Daisy's Diner, will remain, but it will be changed to Daisy's Cafe. So it does make sense that the building next to it would have her color scheme. You know, it makes sense that she would be living right next to where her cafe is. So um, maybe this will be a great location for Daisy Duck to greet guests and have an official spot because she really hasn't had one um, prior to this. She kind of just met in different areas, maybe in Toontown before over by Donald's boat, um, kind of in that post-pandemic area where they didn't let people go in there too much and they had kind of character meet and greets out front. Uh, and then, of course, on Main Street USA as well. Um, but this might give her her own permanent home. Um, Mickey's, or, or excuse me, uh, Pluto's doghouse 
Um, didn't really have any kind of visible changes other than the front entrance to it where the window normally would be um, is boarded up completely. Now this sits directly in between what looks like, you know, the front facade that has the kind of Daisy color scheme on it, as well as the Daisy's Cafe location. Um, this didn't look like it had really any changes other than, like I said, the front was boarded up and there was no visible wall in front of it. So that's something to keep an eye on. And of course, when we walked in Mickey's Toontown right there next to Daisy's what was Daisy's Diner, soon to be Daisy's Cafe, used to be Goofy's Gas. We all know that, right? It had the car out front you could take a picture in, had those water fountains people would refill their water bottles at, um, those gas tanks uh, that would be dispensing gas with fish in them, you know, just a funky little Goofy's Gas location. This location, according to the artwork, changes to a market. Um, the artwork, when you zoom in on it, shows that this is in a market you know, something a la to what you see walking into Disney California Adventure Park, Mortimer's Market, I think it is, that has um, like fruit and different kind of to-go items, drinks, etc. Also, like the other market, I think it's like Fairfax Market on Hollywood Boulevard. When you're in Hollywoodland at Disney California Adventure um, or over like an Adventureland. So something like that where you can get fresh fruit, maybe some pickles, things like that. Um, and this color scheme changed to what looks like a Pluto color scheme. It's got the greens, it's got the yellows. Um, so this could be like Pluto's market, potentially. Um, there's no gas stations in front of it anymore, gas pumps. Um, it's just going to be um, the market. So it's going to have a, a better or different look and feel for that area. So those are the changes that we've seen thus far to what we're able to walk around in. The rest of Mickey's Toontown, of course, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, um, remains there. There's been some changes to kind of to the front of the attraction and how you access it. Um, but the rest of it really remains unchanged on the, or unchanged on the outside. Everything just got real spruced up, right? They redid the pavement. They flattened all the curbs. They, um, made sure all the special effects were working that all the kids can play with, like lifting up the boxes and, you know, trying to lift up the, the, the big weight in the middle of the street things like that. You can still go through the post office. You can tweak the little, um, the, the mailboxes in here, the characters speak. So it does do all the special effects that we know and love. The buildings are looking fresh. They have fresh coats of paint. Everything looks like it did back in the nineties when it first opened. Um, and of course, another big change is no, tr uh, tracks in the middle of the street for the Jolly Trolley, which closed down a long time ago. Um, and really at this point it was more of just a trip hazard. So it's good that that's gone. Um, and also the lack of curbs in Mickey's Toontown really makes the whole area very easy for strollers to get in and out of, which a lot of parents will be in there with strollers. And of course, accessibility for kids in wheelchairs, adults in wheelchairs, etc. Now, going back to interactivity for the land, um, another thing that we did find out when we were discussing Magic Band Plus interactivity and putting that question out there, the Imagineer shared that the interactivity that's going to be in place, like at Goofy's house and uh, other areas in the land that they're adding specifically, it's going to be um, in mind uh, and geared towards kids that are on the spectrum. So um, kids that have special needs in that sense, it's going to be um, catered 
to being friendly to all kids, accessible to all kids, whether you're in a wheelchair, um, whether you have special like sensory needs, things like that. It's going to be geared towards that with those kids in mind, um, which is great. They're making it accessible to all kids and all needs. Um, and there's no like needing to avoid specific things based on different sensory needs and stuff like that. So I think it's a great move that they thought about that. Um, and that they're incorporating that into a space that's really going to be, um, you know, centered towards kids, right? That's what Mickey's Toontown is. So, um, and these big open parks that we're seeing kind of over at Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. And of course, as soon as the walls come down, as soon as you walk in at the Centennial Park, these are things that the guests had been asking for. You know, they're on surveys and things like that. They want a space for, you know, relaxation and to let their kids kind of just unwind for a second and, it's going to be, it's, it's how they're being used right now, currently, when, you know, as the rides open um, and the front half space is open for this, for this use. Um, and it will be how the park is used. You know, people might get their food and bring it over here, have a little picnic in the park, maybe relax for a little bit. It lets kids kind of get some energy out potentially, you know, going from ride to ride to ride to ride and just waiting in lines can really be hard with young kids and parents with those young kids. So having a place like this to kind of let them take a break for a little bit is really something that they requested and is going to be pretty popular in my opinion. Um, Other things that we know in Mickey's Toontown coming um, is a change, of course, to Donald's boat. Um, We're seeing a like water interactivity, like splash area at this location, which it didn't have before. Now, of course, there was water surrounding Donald's boat in this area, um, and there were water features like a waterfall, etc., but never like water that truly kids can interact and play with. Um, And that's another kind of fun, needed thing when it's hot and, you know, they got those summer summer days here in Southern California. So they're going to have like a splash pad area that will also be accessible for wheelchairs and other things like that. Um, But for kids to play with in front of Donald's boat, um, not sure how much interactivity is going to be back in Donald's boat, whether you can go upstairs, downstairs like you used to be able to do before. Um, But they will have this new space coming. Um, which will be great to see. And then, of course, Gadget's Go Coaster still remains, still here at uh, Mickey's Toontown, but it does change as far as the theming of it. Now, what has been removed is the Chippendale Treehouse. Um, A lot of this was already kind of abandoned and not used anyway um, because the center of the Chippendale's Treehouse was a giant ball pit. And sometime, I forget what time, whether it was the early 2000s or late 90s, Ball pits were just a liability and no longer something that really any place wanted to have, whether it was like a McDonald's or, um, you know, like a theme park like Disney. Uh, It was just too much of a liability with injuries and things like that. So the ball pits were closed and they kind of just collected dust and water if there was a rainy day or something like that. So um, the treehouse and the surrounding play areas around it were removed during this renovation of Mickey's Toontown. And I'm not sure what was placed there. It could be a great spot for like a character meet and greet or maybe some additional green space for people to kind of play in the grass and sit and enjoy the areas of Toontown. Um, But because Chippendale no longer have their treehouse anymore, 
Gadget's Go Coaster was officially rethemed to Chippendale's Gadget Coaster. So now this is going to be their home in Mickey's Toontown, and the coaster is going to be themed to Chippendale. Not sure if there's any theming at all sticking around for the Rescue Rangers or Gadget herself, um, as she was the inventor of the coaster before. Um, but um, it is now Chippendale's Gadget Coaster. Uh, we saw new signage for that and a new entrance for that on the model. Um, I did spot that right away when I looked at the model. Um, and there wasn't really um, anything that we could see on the model because they cut it off right where the signage was. So we saw the new sign, we saw the new name, but we saw nothing about the roller coaster itself. So we don't know how much is truly changing or sticking around. Although in the artwork, it does look pretty similar to how it was before. Um, but that back area of Mickey's Toontown on the artwork was kind of fuzzy as far as kind of what it looked like. Some people were even speculating they could see what looked like might have been a pathway leading to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge from there. And Disney has said literally nothing about that at all. Um, and I don't think that's actually coming. So, um, But maybe with the treehouse being gone, this is something they could look into in the future, um, adding on to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, in the, like, you know, as time goes on, maybe they want to make this like a themed alleyway over to that area uh, to transition more seamlessly into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But um, we'll have to wait and see kind of what that space looks like once Mickey's Toontown opens. And of course, Disney shared that they would be bringing back fan favorites like Mickey's House, Minnie's House, um, you know, Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin will return as Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. The signs there, the front entrance of the attraction looks the same. Um, it's all going to reopen as we remember. No word yet on there's any changes inside of Mickey's house and Minnie's house or in the backyard or anything like that. So we'll have to wait and see. But we did hear some rumors that there were some changes going on inside. Um, so that, that's basically kind of where my mind's going to go, right? When I see, you know, media and, and, you know, first looks coming out, I want to see what those look like and if those have changed at all. Um, because all we've really seen is kind of like the changes coming to Goofy's house, um, and the backyard of Goofy's house. And of course the big fountain focal piece and the Centennial Park. So that really pretty much wraps up all that we know about Mickey's Toontown thus far and what they've shared or what we've found out just by kind of probing and talking to the Imagineers and kind of investigating the, the models that were there um, at D23 Expo. Um, I'm excited that they dis that they added Magic Band Plus or are going to add Magic Band Plus. Don't know if that's coming out right away um, when the land opens or if it's something that's coming, but they did at least confirm that they were going to bring some elements or aspects of that. And some of the previous announcements did also say that the fountain, that main focal fountain in Centennial Park, would be coming to life at nighttime with music and lights and some sort of magic in the surrounding area. So not really sure if... We're going to see projections on the tree or on the surrounding buildings. So it's really going to be um, something to look forward to to see kind of how that interacts. And I feel like Magic Band stuff, if it did come anywhere, would be in this space. That's kind of how I feel like it would be. Um, or maybe some statues or things that they add later on that could be something that they do as well. So, But again, Mickey's Toontown will have its grand opening on Sunday March 19th again, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I was planning on going on, on uh, opening day of the 8th, and I'll be going now for sure on the 19th. I already got my reservation, so 
I'll be there to check it out and uh, share the experience with you. No idea yet how we're supposed to access the land. Currently, as it stands right now, you can only access the area if you have a virtual queue boarding group for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway or a paid individual lightning lane to get into Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So um, I don't know if that's going to be the same way for Mickey's Toontown and they're going to limit it to people that are riding the attraction. Um, but it is a currently one way in, one way out only land. So trying to squeeze everyone back in that space might be a little problematic. Um, maybe they do virtual queue for entering the land itself. Not quite sure. Um, as I'm sure as we get closer to the event and the opening of the land, we'll find out more information. And of course I'll share it here on the podcast. And lastly, for our Main Street topic, sort of part two, I wanted to discuss a little bit just because I've been getting a lot of questions on it. But basically, um, Bob Iger announced during the earnings call that Disneyland Resort will be bringing an avatar experience, an exciting new avatar experience um, very, very soon or not very soon, but details will be shared very, very soon. Um, And of course, um, a lot of people are kind of wondering where it's going to go, what it's going to be. Thinking, of course, to Disney's Animal Kingdom, which already has Pandora, the world of Avatar, which is an extremely immersive land with two um, really awesome attractions, the Navi River Journey and the Flight of Passage attraction, which has um, massive waits almost every day um, at the Walt Disney World Resort over there in Animal Kingdom. Um, But, you know, Avatar, the second movie here, Way of Water, is already poised to make well over $2.2 billion and is going to be one of the top grossing films of all time. Um, So there's definitely demand to have sort of Avatar experiences uh, in their theme parks, and it would make sense for them to bring something like that to the Disneyland Resort. Um, Again, we don't really know what that means. He didn't specifically say avatar themed land um he said avatar experience so this could be a land this could be an attraction um this could be just an experience that's temporary um we don't really know there is already an avatar experience um that is temporary over in shanghai disneyland and a lot of fans on twitter were really making that connection to this when um, when Bob Iger announced it on the earnings call. Um, but basically, over in Tomorrowland in Shanghai Disneyland, right next to their Tron light cycle power run, um, there, there is an, a temporary attraction called Avatar Explore Pandora. Um, and it's really a very uh, immersive and interactive exhibit, um, kind of like some of those exhibits you're seeing on Van Gogh and other kind of traveling exhibits that are going around the country. Um, Very kind of in that vein where there's lots of projections, um, really immersive set pieces and puppetry and things like that. Um, So they have that set up for kind of the world of Pandora and all of its bioluminescence glory in their Tomorrowland um, with like a full tree of souls and, you know, just really vibrant plants and projections of, of the life on Pandora, as well as some really intricate giant puppetry or animatronics of like the Kron, Banshee, things like that. Um, and other props like that would would have been used from the movie, including um, life size, real sized figurines of some of the characters from The Way of Water um, in their you know normal sized form uh, for Navi. So 
it is um, a really cool experience. You can take photos with the different things and just be immersed. I'm sure there's great music inside. I haven't seen any videos of it, just kind of pictures and little clips that Disney shared on their website. Um, it looks like a lot of fun and looks like you can spend a decent amount of time in there. Um, it seems like this would be the most logical thing that they would bring. Um, they could do it maybe over ESPN zone, um, potentially maybe over in Tomorrowland at, um, the Star Wars launch bay. Um, we know that second floor of the launch bay is going to be the DVC member lounge, but what about, um, you know, the rest of the second floor? Is it going to be the whole entire top floor? I don't think so. Um, it's a pretty big building. Um, and then what about the whole first floor where they have character meet and greets, um, and that shop, you know, they could have a Pandora themed shop, right next to the exhibit. Perfect thing that Disney loves to do. It would work really well in Tomorrowland. Um, that's a potential and it would just be like exactly, you know, what Shanghai has. Um, but there's other clues, you know, that Bob Iger shared, like, you know, if it was just something like that, that's, you know, it's exciting and it's nice, but it's not exactly new and something we haven't seen before. So you'd think he would say, oh, we're bringing a similar experience um, because of the success of Avatar and the way of water um, that we have over in Shanghai and bring it to Disneyland over here in um, California. So you think he might say something like that, but to kind of use the words exciting experience coming to Disneyland and we'll be sharing more details soon really kind of set everyone off and, and really kind of sent everyone to their speculations is kind of what would be going on. We saw people talking about, you know, them getting rid of Autopia and getting rid of the Finding Nemo submarine voyage and that whole space and reimagining it to, you know, uh, uh, Pandora World of Avatar and how there's plenty of space there that it can fit or how removing the Interventions building slash Star Wars launch bay completely would allow an attraction the size of Flight of Passage to take space there. Um, all things that were just wildly, um, I'd feel like out of scope for what Disneyland is willing to spend and, and what they can do. Um, I, I think one thing that we forget about a lot of these places, like the Star Wars launch bay, like the Blue Sky Cellar over in Disney California Adventure, and the ESPN Zone in downtown Disney, things as theme park goers and fans on the outside might think are just abandoned buildings that aren't being used anymore, are definitely still being used by Disney in very, very creative and monetized ways. Um, all of these locations do make the resort money um, in different ways. Disney always finds ways to, to monetize these open spaces. They did it over in Disney California Adventure Park at Stage 17 before that was the Avengers Superstore. So they've done it and they will continue to do it. So if these places were ever to go away, they would need to be replaced by something that would bring in as much, if not more money than they were currently making as flexible spaces that are used by third parties or by Disney itself. So that really has to go into um, consideration when we're thinking about just removing these spaces. You know, as a theme park goer, it might just look like this blue sky cellar over in Disney California Adventure is abandoned and no one uses it and it just sits there when in actuality it's used very frequently. So Whatever goes in there needs to be um, worth Disney's time and money. So um, something like this, um, you know, 
what Tomorrowland has already over in Shanghai Disneyland looks exciting to me. As a huge Avatar fan that I am, I would love to have something like that at Disneyland, even if it's just temporary. Um, But of course, I would love even more so to have something like Pandora World of Avatar, even if it's just one of the attractions from that um, immersive land, or maybe even a dining experience um, brought over to Disneyland Resort. I would love to see that as well uh, and welcome any of it, actually. Um, So we'll have to wait and see, but I really wanted to address this one because I just felt like the word experience was so deliberate. um, And really, because of that word usage, I feel like we all kind of need to curb our excitement and kind of rein in some of the speculation on what what this might actually be Um, as much as I would love for it to be an immersive themed land coming to Disneyland or Disney California Adventure um, I just don't think that's coming now right Um, with potential approvals in the future of Disneyland Forward and other projects like that that could let Disneyland and let Disney California Adventure Park expand beyond their current borders Um, we could see something like Pandora World of Avatar come to Disneyland, come to Disney California Adventure Park in those proposed extended spaces um, that would be where Disneyland Forward could allow them to build. Um, So this could be something in the future that we get for Pandora World of Avatar. Um, But I think for right now, with the word experience and just kind of what Bob Iger had in mind. I think it's more specifically kind of what we're seeing over in Shanghai or a similar experience to that maybe catered more towards the American audience. So um, either way, still exciting to see any sort of Avatar representation in the parks um, and hopefully with it some more Avatar merchandise um, or themed food items at some like adjoining restaurants. That'd be really cool. Um, so we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. And of course, follow this development, the idea of him saying that details will be shared very soon. Maybe we see some updates on Disney parks blog, or we see some other official announcement through a third party, like when Disney gives details to like LA times or OC register, things like that. So we'll keep an eye on it and hopefully they share some more details soon on what this might be because so many people are interested So many news stations jumped on this right away. So there's definitely a lot of curiosity here, and I hope we find out some exciting details soon. But that wraps up this episode of the 5571 Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the podcast. You can do so on any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to. Whether you're listening to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. And also, if you feel so inclined, go ahead and leave a review or a rating on the podcast. Um, That does help the podcast um, be seen and be listed in more ways than it has originally. And if you'd like to share any feedback or have any questions you'd like to be featured on a future show, maybe another future Q&A episode, please send those emails to... Um, podcast at the5571.com. Again, podcast at the5571.com. Or you can send me a DM, voice note, voice memo, whatever, on Instagram and also on Twitter um, so I can feature those on a future um, Q&A episode. Uh, But thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.